70 years with KBS World Radio, 70 years of global Korea. Throughout the year, we celebrate the 70th anniversary of KBS World Radio with the voices of our listeners from all over the world. Chào các bạn, mình tên là Trần Văn Thắng. Mình là một giáo viên tiếng Anh cũng là một giáo viên tiếng Việt đang sinh sống và làm việc tại Thái Bình của Việt Nam. Hi, my name is John Ban Tang. I live in Taipin in Vietnam and I teach English and Vietnamese. I started listening to KBS World Radio in 2012. KBS World Radio has been introducing me to Korea's economy, culture, society and more, broadening my understanding of the country. Just as I started to think about visiting Korea, I came across an opportunity to go in 2018. During my week-long stay in Korea, I went to various museums and cultural heritage sites. I was deeply impressed by how Korea takes care and respects its cultural assets. Congratulations, KBS World Radio, on your 70th anniversary. Seventy years with KBS World Radio, seventy years of global Korea. KBS World Radio brings Korea to you wherever you are. Hello, it's Friday the 17th of February and welcome to Korea 24. I'm your host, Kwon Jang-woo. The Democratic Party has held a massive rally outside the National Assembly to protest the prosecution's arrest warrant request for party leader Lee Jae-myung on corruption and bribery charges. We'll have the latest on news briefing shortly. Coming up on a weekly economy review, we take a closer look at President Yoon Song Yeol's plans announced this week to freeze utility fees until the second half of the year. And then we have reviews of the latest Ant-Man film and the Oscar-nominated war film All Quiet on the Western Front for today's movie spotlight. Let's begin Korea 24. The main opposition Democratic Party held a massive rally outside the National Assembly on Friday. It was to protest the prosecution's move to request for an arrest warrant for party leader Lee Jae-myung. That, of course, came on Thursday on charges related to corruption and bribery. Uh, KBS World Radio News Editor Koo Hee-jin joins us in the studio now to give us the latest on that and our other headlines of the day. Hee-jin, hello. Hello, Jang-ho. The DP was protesting the arrest warrant filed by the prosecution on Thursday, which was the first of its kind in the nation's modern history. Lee Jae-myung himself and the party has also lashed out in full force against the prosecution and the UN administration for what they claim was political oppression targeting the opposition. So what can you tell us? Well, the DP on Friday slammed the unprecedented move by the prosecution against the leader of the main opposition, pledging to fight the Yoon suk yeol administration. In a speech at that rally, DP Chief E said the administration is targeting him when it should be targeting inflation, condemning his uh, its efforts to take out the opposition and political enemies. He said the government must not disregard public suffering and anger. The DP chief said 
widespread uh, poli- uh, politics that neglects public livelihood has no reason to exist, vowing to uh, ease the public's hardship and restore democracy. He also said during a, a DP Supreme Council meeting earlier that day, the prosecution's move will leave a stain on history, claiming that democracy and the rule of law are being ruthlessly trampled over by the prosecution's dictatorship under the Yoon government. The ruling People Power Party, on the other hand, hit back accusing the main opposition Democratic Party for throwing up barricades to defend its leader, Lee Jae-myung. Indeed. PPP floor leader Ju Ho-young criticised the rally on Friday, saying that uh, E's case is a judicial one and his crimes do not simply go away by holding a protest. Ju also urged E to respect the judicial system and comply with a court hearing on his arrest warrant, pointing out that the DP chief had vowed during a presidential campaign to yield the privilege of immunity from arrest granted to lawmakers. Immunity for lawmakers can be overridden with the passage of a motion in Parliament by a simple majority. Still, the motion on E's arrest will probably fail in the face of the DP's 169-member strength in the 300-seat chamber. OK, so we expect political tensions to intensify over the next week till that National Assembly session. Mm-hmm. Turning now to North Korea, South Korean military authorities have assessed that the North is continuously producing nuclear materials in its key facilities and believe that Pyongyang could carry out its seventh nuclear test any time upon a quote-unquote political decision. So what more have they revealed? Well, South Korea's defence ministry says North Korea's nuclear facilities are operating normally, including the Yongbyon nuclear complex, part of which was ostensibly uh, uh, blown up in 2008. The ministry issued the assessment on Friday during a briefing on its operations to the National Assembly's National Defence Committee. The ministry says production of nuclear materials is underway at these facilities and Pyongyang could carry out its seventh nuclear test any time. Uh, depending on a politically motivated decision from the North's leadership. The military says uh, it believes that the North uh, will continue to boost its missile cap- capability and could possibly test fire a new intercontinental ballistic missile to strengthen its solid fuel rocket c- capability. Uh, the Defence Ministry unveiled plans to conduct the South Korea-US combined military exercises dubbed Freedom Shield, slated for next month in a more expanded size and scope to respond to the North's uh, threats. Unlike previous manoeuvres that were carried out in two parts, this year's joint drill will be conducted for 11 days straight, with particular emphasis in the field training exercises. And North Korea fired back, warning of a strong response if South Korea and the US push ahead with their combined military exercises. Indeed. In a statement issued on Friday, the North's foreign ministry said that the joint training by Seoul and Washington will be met with a never-before-seen response that is both consistent and unprecedented. The ministry said Pyongyang cannot help but respond to the blatant revelation by the US and South Korea of their dangerous intent to secure the military upper hand on the Korean peninsula and in the region. The official claimed that the 
the planned military drill will again raise tensions on and around the peninsula. It also condemned South Korea and the U.S. for using the United Nations Security Council as a tool to pressure Pyongyang. The release has sparked concerns that Pyongyang could resume engaging in provocations, including launching ballistic missiles. South Korean Ambassador Hwang Jung-guk on Thursday urged permanent members on the UN Security Council to refrain from exercising contradictory veto rights in the wake of inaction over North Korea's slew of aggression. His remarks are widely regarded as a veiled criticism against permanent members China and Russia for condoning North Korea's aggression. Moving on, the the Finance Ministry issued its February Green Book uh, Economic Assessment Report in which officially stated for the first time that the country's economic growth is tapering off. It cited persistently high prices and a slowing recovery in domestic consumption amid a continuing slump in exports and worsening business sentiment. So can you tell us more? Well, after consistently mentioning a possible economic slowdown in the monthly report since June of last year, the latest edition is uh, the first to uh, definitively uh, assess that the economy has slowed down since the outbreak of the COVID-19 in 2020. The assessment follows a contradiction in the economy in the fourth quarter last year amidst sluggish exports, with this growth domestic product shrinking 0.4% from the previous quarter to mark the first quarterly contraction since the quarter of 2020. In January, exports shrank 16.6% on year, declining for the fourth consecutive month since last October to widen the country's trade deficit to a monthly record of $12.65 billion last month. In other news, South Korea's second disaster relief team has arrived in Turkey to help with post-quake recovery efforts. So what's the latest there? Well, the Foreign Ministry announced on Friday that the second Korea disaster relief team composed of public and civic officials arrived at Adana Airport at 6am aboard a military transport plane. The second contingent includes two Foreign Ministry officials, five employees of the Korea International Cooperation Agency and 10 medical professionals from the Defence Ministry, the National Medical Centre and the Korea Foundation for International Healthcare. South Korea has also sent more relief supplies to Turkey, uh, comprising items requested by the Turkish government, including over 1,000 tents, over 3,000 blankets and 2,200 sleeping bags. Meanwhile, South Korea will provide $1 million in humanitarian aid to the stricken Syria uh, through the United Nations to help in their recovery. Uh, Can you tell us more? Well, Foreign Ministry spokesperson Im Suk said on Thursday that the UN Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs has requested assistance for Syria from the international community and expressed hope that Seoul's support will help the victims uh, recover. The aid from Seoul, which will be transferred through an international agency in the absence of formal diplomatic ties with Syria that precludes direct communication, will be announced as soon as the country specifies its needs. One ministry official told reporters that the support will be delivered as quickly as possible with more consultations expected to determine the details. That's all for our news briefing today. Thank you for those updates. Thank you.
President Yoon Sung-yeol announced on Wednesday that the government will freeze the price of public utility fees for the first half of the year. This comes in response to the recent public outcry over soaring heating bills and high inflation. To take a look at these measures and more for Weekly Economy Review today, we have joining us in the studio economics professor Yang jun Suk from the Catholic University of Korea. Professor, hello. It's uh, great to see you as always. Happy to be here. So, Professor, this announcement comes after many in Korea were shocked at the rise in heating bills they saw at this start of the year. But the president has now promised to freeze any increases in utility and energy bills in the first half of the year. So any rate increases are set to come in the second half of the year. And the president has also promised to adjust the energy price increases when they do come in as well. So, Professor... What do you make of these plans? Okay, I'm, I'm afraid that uh, perhaps the uh, government is repeating the same mistake that they did last year and the year before. Uh, they were afraid of piling inflation upon inflation or piling inflation, rising prices when the economy is too slow. So they delayed raising the prices. And now one of the biggest contributors to increasing inflation rate is rising utility prices because we didn't. Uh, raised them when we were uh, we should have last year or the year before. Right. So last year was, of course, mostly the Yoon administration, but the year before that is the, the Moon, Moon administration. administration. And that additionally caused problems in the financial sector, the bond market, because uh, Kepco, Korea Gas, and the government were borrowing so much money that they crowded out a lot of private companies. Uh, in addition, Kepco stocks are owned by private investors, domestic and foreign, so there is a possibility that if uh, the loss continues because government will not raise the prices, then at least the foreign investors may sue. Uh, and then in addition, because we're delaying the rise in prices, inflation may go on for longer and perhaps even higher down the line. So Bank of Korea will have to maintain its high interest rate even longer or it may even have to raise the rates even further. Uh, so uh, that may cause further problems down the line, making inflation longer. One partial solution may be for the government to subsidize KEPCO and Korea Gas, uh, but uh, in that case, government budget and probably government deficit will further rise. So there's really no good solution out of this. Right. So as an economist, would you say uh, there perhaps it doesn't quite make sense, but on a political side, uh, that's perhaps what President Yoon is considering? It's all politics. Right. OK. So it is uh, quite controversial. We'll see how it bears fruit. Uh, but perhaps in the short term, the public will appreciate the bills rising a bit slower. Uh, meanwhile, also on Wednesday, during the cabinet meeting, the president reportedly stressed that the finance and communications industry should exert greater efforts to protect vulnerable social groups. Reports say that he ordered related ministries to advise measures to promote competition in the local banking industry, saying that the monopolistic structure of the industry is causing significant harm. And he is known to have said that communications and financial industries both have characteristics of public services and have maintained an oligopoly as the government's especially permitted businesses. So, Professor, what are your thoughts on his comments there? Okay, well, Korea definitely does need more competition, especially in those two markets. If you look at uh, the uh, international competitiveness report, like the uh, World Economic Forum report, uh, if you look at the 2019 numbers, which is the latest available, even though Korea ranked 13th out of 141 countries in terms of overall competitiveness, if you look 
at just market competition, then we're ranked only 59th. Uh, and if you go into some of the subcategories, market dominance is ranked 93rd. Uh, and uh, the uh, competition in services is ranked 48th. Uh, so there is definitely uh, anti-competitive factors in there. Consumer prices are generally higher in Korea than other uh, highly competitive advanced markets like the United States. That's why c customers are now trying to buy directly from international websites. Uh, so there is a case to be made for increasing competitiveness in the domestic industry. If we look at banking, the number of banks in Korea fall behind a lot of other countries. Uh, Korea, ha uh, according to a uh, Helgi library, which keeps track of numbers of banks, Korea has 54 banks by their count, but U.S. has 4,500. U.K. Right. has more than 300. Germany has 259. France also has 259. Japan, on the other hand, they're not really known as a dynamic financial uh, country, and they only have 27. So Korea has less banks than a lot of other countries, and even there, Korean banking is concentrated in the big five banks, and the fifth largest actually is Agricultural Cooperative, which used to be a quasi-government organization. Mm. Uh, then telecommunication, there's only three big companies, SK, KT, which also used to be a quasi-government organization, and LGU+. There has been attempts to bring more companies into the industry, but it's been stymied. Uh, there has been an attempt to uh, assign, say, Alter phones, thrift phones, uh, but they haven't really gathered a lot of market entrance there, uh, both because licensing procedures are too hard and they're afraid of existing competition by the big three. So in sort of a paradox, uh, some of these thrifty phone operators are actually part of the big three. Mm. Uh, and so we definitely need some more uh, competition there. Uh, but the reason that there's so little competition is partially government laws and regulations. Korea and Japan are the only two countries I know where they argue uh, you should limit entry because there's excessive competition. This is not predatory competition, which is an anti-competitive behavior, uh, setting prices below cost to drive out competitors, but just excessive uh, competition, which just means some of the less efficient companies may go out of business. And you're supposed to do that in a market economy, uh, and you're limiting uh, potentially more efficient players to coming, uh, come in. Uh, so that accounts for some of the reasons why Korea is so less competitive than other countries. In order to fix this problem, uh, not only does Korea have to fix its laws and regulations to make entry into a market more easier, they also have to make exit from the country. Uh, market more efficient. And then we also have to have a uh, more uh, rigid or more uh, solid anti-competition uh, 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 policy enforcement, anti-monopoly policy of, uh, uh, enforcement. And it's not quite clear if the uh, Yoon government is prepared to go that far. Right. So you're saying changes are needed, but there's a big hill ahead, a big mountain ahead. Exactly, and it needs actual changes rather than uh, job owning. OK, I'd like to touch upon a couple more issues briefly, if we have time, before we go. Uh, the Korean won closed just shy of 30 against the US dollar today. It's been on a steep climb since the start of this month. Uh, we thought the won had stabilised after it hit almost uh, 1450 last October. 
So, Professor, another concerning depreciation trend. Right. And uh, if we look at how much the uh, yuan changed value in the last month, yuan changed value uh, depreciated by 4.9%. Japan changed by roughly similar amount, 5.2. But uh, if you look at the British pound, it only lost 3% of its value. Euro, it only lost about 1.4%. Yuan only lost about 1.6%. So uh, there is a concern that depreciation of Korean won is accelerating. And we've been through that last autumn. Uh, I had been hoping that Bank of Korea would not have to raise its rates when they meet next week. Uh, but if the exchange rates keep on depreciating, Korean won keeps on depreciating at this pace, they may have no choice but to raise the interest rate. And finally, January's employment figures were released this week. According to Statistics Korea, 411,000 jobs were added on year, which was the lowest on year growth in 22 months since March 2021. So what do you take away from this Okay, well, the numbers, if you look at the whole, uh, on the whole, they seem good. Uh, the, uh, un- the employment rate uh, rose by 0.7 percentage points to 60.3. It's slightly lower than pre-pandemic, but it's not too bad. Uh, the unemployment numbers, unemployment rate uh, is 3.6%, down uh, 0.5 percentage point from last year. So again, this is one of the uh, lowest unemployment rates that's been recorded. Uh, so uh, at least if you look at the raw numbers, they look okay. But if you look in the details, there's some worrying trends. The uh, greatest growth took place with the over 65 group, the uh, retirement group. And if you look at full-time jobs versus five t- uh, part-time jobs, part-time jobs being less than 36 hours, most of the job growth took place in part-time jobs rather than full-time jobs. The number of full-time jobs actually fell compared to not only last year, uh, but December. Uh, so uh, the quality of jobs may be declining. The raw number of people being hired may be increasing, but the quality of jobs may be decreasing. And most of the jobs for over 65 are government-supported jobs. So it may be that the government is still propping up the Korean labor market. Okay, we'll wrap it up there. Professor Yang, as always, thank you for your analysis. Thank you. Welcome to the Korea24 Stock and Forex Update. The benchmark Korea Composite Stock Price Index fell 24.27 points, or 0.98% on Friday, to close the week at 2,451.21. The tech-heavy Kosdaq also fell, shedding 9.09 points, or 1.16%, to close at 775.62. On the foreign exchange, the local currency weakened 14.71 against the U.S. dollar, closing the day at 1,299.51. You can check Korean stock and forex closings at world.kbs.co.kr. We continue on now to Korea Trending, our daily segment where we round up some of the other news headlines that have been trending online. And for that, our contributor Diane Yu joins us in the studio now. Diane, hello. It's good to see you. Hello, Jango. It's good to see you too. Okay, so we're going to head straight into our stories today. What mm-hmm. do you have for us first? 
A Japanese daily has actively covered how the Japanese national anthem, Kimigayo, was played at a ceremony in Seoul marking the birthday of Japanese, Japanese Emperor Naruhito. In an exclusive, the Sankei Shimbun said the Kimigayo was performed for the first time together with the South Korean anth- national anthem at an event marking the said occasion. The ceremony was held at a hotel in the capital city on Thursday. An official of the Japanese embassy in Seoul told the Daily that the embassy decided to play the Kimigayo as it is natural to play the national anthem in an event hosted by the embassy and as efforts are underway to improve Seoul-Tokyo ties. Right, so it was an event hosted by the Japanese embassy in Seoul and mm-hmm. they played the controversial anthem for the first time together with the South Korean national anthem. Right. Why had the embassy not played the Kimigayo in previous events? Well, the Daily said that Tokyo had refrained from playing the anthem in the past in consideration of anti-Japan uh, sentiment in South Korea. It says that the latest decision to play the anthem came as the Yoon Seok-yeol government has been aiming to enhance Seoul-Tokyo relations since it came into power last year, and as Tokyo believes that it's time to thaw such frozen ties. Right, and as I said, Kimigayo is seen as controversial in South Korea, right? Right, it is. Those critical of the anthem claim that the song expresses hope for the emperor to reign for eternity, thus symbolizing Japan's militarism. The line that such people are particularly alarmed with goes, may your reign continue for a thousand, eight thousand generations until the tiny pebbles grow into massive boulders lush with moss. Yes, I see. In fact, I heard that there were some protesters outside the hotel that hosted the ceremony. That's correct. Five members of a civic group called on the Japanese embassy to stop holding a birthday party for the emperor in the middle of Seoul. Thursday marked the first time since December 2018 for the embassy to hold a birthday reception for the emperor and the first uh, first since Aruhito assumed the throne in May 2019. The event had been held off due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Right, so Seoul-Tokyo ties may be improving, but relations are still sensitive. Right. And the anthem risks upsetting people. So the unilateral decision to play it along with the Korean national anthem has has been a question by yeah. quite a lot of people. It is a, an unfortunate incident that highlights the sensitive nature of the relationship. Mm-hmm. Okay, in the meantime, let's move on to our second story now. What do you have for us? Concerns have emerged that Jeju Island's ecosystem could suffer disruption after herds of deer whose species are not native to South Korea have been spotted in Jeju mountainous areas. According to the National Institute of Forest Science on Friday, around a dozen deer regarded to be subspecies of Sika and red deer have often been seen living in groups in mountainous regions, including Mount Hala. The institute said that the only one or two such deer, which are regarded to be invasive alien species were seen on the island 10 years ago, but now appear to have adopted to the wild completely and have increased their population. Okay, do we know how these animals came to enter the island in the first place? It's believed that these herds originated from deer that had escaped from deer farms that were established on the islands in the 1990s to sell the animals' meat and antlers. Currently, a total of 295 deer are estimated to be raised in such farms on the island. Okay, so what kind of disruptions could these deer 
bring uh, to Jeju's ecosystem. The National Institute of Forest Science fears that wild plants native to the island and farmlands could be affected by the deer's eating habits, and that given their large size, these species could take over the habitat of roe deer, which are regarded to be Jeju's representative animal. The Institute believes disruption could also be seen in the colonies of other types of animals native to the island, including badgers and salamanders. A forestry researcher said these alien species could likely cause disruptions as Jeju, being an island, has a unique ecosystem. He then stressed that the need for thorough inspections to be carried out. Yes, ecosystems, particularly on islands, can be very delicate. So this looks like a situation that will need to be closely monitored. Mm -hmm. Let's uh, move on to our final story. What else has been trending? Ahen Kim, the head coach of Brown University's volleyball team, has has been named the new manager of the Gwangju Pepper Savings Bank's AI Peppers of the Korean V-League. The women's professional team has been left without a manager since his former head coach Kim Young-sil stepped down last November amid poor performances and efforts to overhaul the team. Coach Lee Kyung-soo has since been serving as interim manager. Yes, uh, so can you tell us about Kim, who will be taking over the helm? Uh, The Korean-American began his coaching career as an assistant coach at the Catholic University of America in 2009. He also worked as an assistant coach at George Washington University, Houston Baptist University, and American University. In 2018, he took the helm of Brown University's women's volleyball team, the Brown Bears, and led the team to its most wins to earn its first Ivy League volleyball title since 2001. Under Kim's leadership, the Bears came in fourth place in the Ivy standings, finishing in the top half of the league for the first time since 2014. Uh, and in, to- in 2021, Kim was named Coach of the Year by the Women's Volleyball Ivy League. So he's an exciting young coach with a Korean heritage. Mm-hmm. Uh, when will Kim begin managing the AI Peppers then? Not anytime soon. The team has eight more matches to play this season, and it's likely to wrap up the season with the interim manager, E. Currently, the AI Peppers are bottom of the V-League in the seventh place with three wins and 25 losses. And those three wins were achieved under E's leadership. With regard to the job, Kim said that he is very honored to become the new head coach and will do his best to turn the AI Peppers into the best team. Yeah, so this season will effectively be a write-off and he'll be taking over next season. Right. They'll be hoping he can help turn the team's fortunes around. Yeah. Okay, we'll wrap it up there for today's Career Trending. Diane, thank you for those stories and we'll see you next time. Have a good weekend. Next up, it's our Friday feature movie spotlight, reviewing the latest releases at the Korean box office and online. And of course, we do that with the help of our esteemed critics who are with us now. First, to my right is Jason Beshvase. Jason, hello. It's good to see you. Hello, Joe. How are you? I'm good, thank you. And to my left, we have Mark Raymond as well. Mark, it's great to see you too. Yes, it's good to be here. Okay, so as we flagged up last week, the only major release this week is another Marvel superhero blockbuster. It is Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania. It is the third in the Ant-Man series and the 31st film of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, or MCU. And as the title suggests, this uh, ever-expanded universe explores something called the Quantum Realm. 
So, Jason, can you tell us more? Yeah, most of it's said in the the quantum realm, uh, which, uh, frankly, I think was a mistake. Uh, So we'll get onto that shortly. Um, And so, yeah, I don't want to summarize, you know, all the films up until this point, you know, the the MCU, like you mentioned. Um, But of course, we had, you know, the two Ant-Man films that came previously. um, And also, you know, you've got Avengers, Infinity War and Endgame. You've got the various subplots, you know, that kind of come together. Uh, And it gets a little bit convoluted. Uh, But for those of uh, our listeners who are familiar with the Ant-Man films, so you remember that you've got this character called Janet, uh, played by Michelle Pfeiffer, and she was stuck in the quantum realm uh, for somewhat 30 years, which is depicted in Ant-Man and the Wasp. Mm. So uh, now after Scott Lang's, a.k.a. Ant-Man, his daughter Cassie, along with Dr. Uh, Pym, played by uh, Michael Douglas, they basically start experimenting at home with technology that allows them to make contact with uh, the quantum realm. And literally, they're all kind of pulled in in Jumanji style, uh, along with (laughs) Hope. Um, And uh, so that's where most of the film is set. You know, their home is set in San Francisco, and that's where, you know, the other Ant-Man films are set. Um, And so then we realize that Janet has, uh, well, she hasn't been exactly frank in in telling them what really happened in the quantum realm, uh, this kind of minuscule dimension that can only be entered through subatomic particles or something like that. Uh, And uh, so there we have the film's central villain, uh, Kang the Conqueror played by uh, Jonathan Majors. You know, uh, the the villain's name speaks for himself, I think. Uh, Yeah, so the film is directed by uh, uh, Peyton Reed uh, behind the other two Ant-Man films. And, uh, yeah, it's the first film of phase yawn, 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 five of MCU. Right. I I can tell already from Jason's quick overview there that he's perhaps not that impressed with it. No. And reviews have been quite bad as well. It only has a 50% score on Rotten Tomatoes, which is uh, unusually low for a Marvel film. Mark, what did you make of it? Especially because uh, you haven't really seen a lot of the Marvel movies, right? Yeah, and I think with the most recent films that we've reviewed on here, The Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, and also Doctor Strange, uh, the latest Doctor Strange, I was a little more positive than Jason, maybe because I was less sick of the films, or maybe they had become less repetitive to me because I haven't watched as many. Mm. But maybe this is my saturation point because I think this movie's quite bad. It's the worst of the Marvel films that I've seen. I haven't seen them all, but I've Mm. seen eight to nine of them, and... uh, yeah, it's it's kind of depressing too because as Jason was saying, you know, there's all these really good actors in this film and they're just kind of wasted. They have really nothing to do. They're just kind of citing the script is quite bad as well. I think that's a big uh, weakness of this film, you know, because this uh, the Ant Man series has been as kind of like the comedy kind of film right, within yeah. the genre. Like you know, the MCU is trying to like kind of branch off into different genres within the MCU, right? So this has been its comedy franchise. And like 95% of the jokes just do not land. They're just really, they're, it's just poorly written. There's no, and so, yeah, it's just not very fun. And then the, you know, like Jason said, the, uh, so much of the film is in this, um, uh, quantum realm that is just not very interesting to look at. There's just not much to it. So you're just kind of watching these people go through these motions and the film itself, even especially towards the end, I thought it was almost acknowledging how 
repetitive and boring it had become. Like it was almost like there's like trying to be like an in joke, like oh, you know, it never ends, or it never. And others see kind of like lines of dialogue, and I'm like, yeah, it sure doesn't never end. And uh, so yeah, it's not a very good film, and um, we'll see what this means. You know, the, there's been a lot of um, poorly reviewed Marvel films mm. of the past year mm. or two, so we'll see if this. Uh, this seems to be continuing in that negative direction with this latest film. Yeah. Okay, wow. So depressing, poorly written, <laughs> going through the motions. Jason, anything else to add? Yeah, it's just really bad. It sucks. Um, you know, uh, I mean, Mom mentioned how, um, yeah, you know, it's set in, you know, a lot of it's set in the quantum realm, as I also mentioned earlier. And I think it just visually, it's just really not very interesting it's just it's it's all kind of you know cgi uh you know my eyes were starting to hurt and uh you know the best part of the film is actually when it's said you know in san francisco you know the beginning of the film and that's where it's funny and and uh yeah, no, it just gets really, really repetitive. I think um, the Marvel films, they kind of peaked a few years ago at the end, mm. you know, kind of late 2010s. You've got Black Panther, which was a, you know, a seminal film, culturally very significant. Um, and, you, you know, you have Endgame and uh, uh, Infinity War, or, or the other way around. But yeah, it's... Um, and those films, I think, kind of re, almost repackaged the blockbuster in a really smart way. Uh, but everything peaks. And, you know, Hollywood, when it sees a franchise that's very successful, you know, uh, Infinity War and Endgame, you know, collectively, they generated close to $5 billion. So what do they do? They just throw out, you know, so much at the audience. We have, you know, lots of series as well, Hawkeye, Loki, you know, all, all the rest of it. So, um, you know, just Loki rather. But, yeah, it's... it's um, it's it's too much of the same thing and i think audiences are getting really really bored and mm. fatigued and i think it's really showing uh in in the box office sales of these these last few films and i think you know marvel for so long were just making you know entertaining movies and i think they just need to figure out what to do now um perhaps they've just they, they yeah they've they've overkilled it you know Yes, Marvel seems to be losing its way. Away. It seems to be uh, fatigue kicking in. Uh, on that note, Mark, are we seeing that in how it's performing in Korea as well? Yeah, it's definitely underperforming expectations. It's still the top movie because, of course, as we mentioned, no other films are going to really compete with these movies. And so, uh, but its numbers, like this film, like it's, like there's been a pattern of this film is making a lot fewer emissions, almost half of what the last Ant-Man did. Mm. We saw this with the latest Thor movie as well. We saw this even with um, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, which got better reviews than these films, the, uh, these this film did, but also was much further down than the original Black Panther. Uh, the only exception was the Spider-Man No Way Home film, which, of course, was a huge hit. And that might have something to do with it being Spider-Man, which is like a, a more durable kind of uh, yeah, and character. Yeah, I think Spider-Man uh, mm -hmm. kind of pulls in both demographics. You know, right. that has a big female fan base in Korea. Yeah. And also, uh, it was, came out just as the pandemic was yeah. ending as well. So people were. Better films, actually. They're, they're pretty good. There was pent up demand mm -hmm. for it as well. Okay, so that was Ant Man, The Wasp, Quantum Mania, and it's out now in Korean cinemas. Uh, now, because the Marvel release has scared away the theatrical competition this week, as we mentioned, <laughs> uh, we thought we'd look <laughs> at. Next week. <laughs> we thought we'd look at some of the best picture Oscar nominees that we have not covered yet on the show, and that is. 
is uh, All Quiet on the Western Front, which is currently playing on Netflix. Uh, the title in Korean is 서부 전선 이상 없다. So, Mark, can you tell us about this one? Yeah, this is the third um, cinematic adaptation of uh, Eric Maria Remarque's uh, 1928 novel, a famous sort of pacifist novel about the trench warfare of World War One. Uh, and he wrote it you know, about 10 years after that war ends in 1918. He writes the novel in 1928, and it quickly gets adapted into a Hollywood. There's a Hollywood version of the film in 1930, directed by Lewis Milestone, which wins the Oscar for Best Picture that year. It's a very acclaimed film, still, uh, still quite an effective one, even today. And there was also a TV kind of adaptation made for American television in 1979. But this is the first German-language version of the film. Uh, it's directed by uh, Edvard Berger. Uh, the basic story, which is probably some, at least somewhat familiar or has been told, I mean, this novel's been so influential and set a kind of template for a lot of war films. Um, there's a young recruit named Paul who goes to the front with dreams of this kind of patriotic kind of glory and quickly becomes disillusioned by the horrific kind of experiences that he sees there. Mm. Um, the plot of this version is pretty similar to the book and to the other uh, adaptation, uh, but there are a few changes to be, most notably, we get these scenes where we see the negotiations of the armistice uh, of, of November 1918. So the end of the uh, film takes place as the war is about to end as well. And it's clearly kind of looking ahead to what would come after um, because again, the original novel did not have World War Two was not had not taken place yet. Right. So this film knows that, and of course, is kind of hinting at you know the the negative ending of this war is going to have repercussions for the rise of German nationalism, the rise of the Nazis, um, and then the, the eventual Second World War. Um, it's also noteworthy this novel was apparently one of Hitler's most hated books. It was immediately banned when Nazis came to power which I'm sure made the author, who was a pacifist and anti-nationalist, uh, quite proud and sort of happy <laughs> that he was. Uh, uh, it's, a, it's a good person. Uh, it's a good uh, uh, point of pride to be hated by Hitler, I think. Yeah, so. <laughs> okay, so Jason, this is an adaptation of a novel from the 1920s that has already been made into an Oscar-winning film. Uh, what do you think is uh, perhaps the point of this adaptation? And does it bring anything new to this material or the war film genre more generally? Yeah, so often when we watch, you know, war films, you know, First World War films, Second World War, it's often told from the perspective of, you know, the Americans or the, or the British. Uh, not so often do you see films uh, from the perspective of, you know, from the Germans, for example. And some of the, actually some really good war films, Das Boot's a great Second World mm. War film. Um, and there are others too. And so I think, uh, and as Mark uh, kind of mentioned there as well, it kind of, you get to see the negotiations go on and, and you know, how complex and difficult they are. And uh, so, yeah, I, I mean, in a sense, it's, I, I don't think it necessarily delivers anything we haven't seen before. Um, you know, the cinematography is absolutely fantastic. It's, it's brutal. It's, it's a grueling war film. It's quite long. Um, you know, I think uh, you go back to kind of some of the films, but, you know, by Steven Spielberg, of course, Saving Private Ryan, The Thin Red Line. You know, I think those films kind of ushered in a, a different kind of uh, war film that really kind of conveyed the brutality of, of war. And I think in, in that sense, this film kind of uh, very much depicts war as, as a very horrific thing. Um, it, 
it, it's it's not you know patriotic in a sense, um, but it, it it yeah he looks at this central character who becomes quickly disillusioned you know wanted to fight for his country and then realizes you know what war really is and I think you know given the conflict in in the Ukraine, um, I think yeah I clearly it's resonating with. Uh, with voters right now, uh, yeah, I, I could see it b- building steam, um, but yeah, to, to land for the Oscars, yeah, before mm, the Oscars right. and, and also the Baftas, but to, to land so many nominations, you know, it was actually quite surprising. It's a good film, right? It received nine Oscar mm. nominations. Mark, uh, what were your thoughts on the film, and do you think it deserves that many Oscar nominations? Yeah, I was uh, pleasantly surprised by the film. I remember. I hadn't really heard anything about the film. It just pops up on Netflix screen, and I'm like, wow, there's a new adaptation of this old kind of novel and this old yeah. film. Can't I didn't really anywhere. have a lot of... <laughs> I didn't have a lot of, like, um, expectations for mm. it, uh, partly because Netflix films tend not to be all that great. But this one's very well-made, very well-made film. The cinematography, as Jason mentioned, the music in particular, quite an unusual score. And it does hint at some other themes, like some environmental themes, I think, that weren't there in the original or kind of in this one, like the, the clear, the fact that war is clearly destroying this, the mm. land itself. Uh, and yeah, it's a uh, yeah, very, um, very effective film. And I think, um, yeah, uh, um, I'm, I don't think it has much of a chance to win the Oscar, but I could see it getting some other kind of below the line war uh, awards. It'll probably win international feature. Yeah. And, uh, and I think, I was uh, quite pleasantly surprised. It is, you know, a grueling film, but it also is, um, uh, again, the filmmaking kind of carries you through, and I was very engaged with it the whole time. It's better than 1917. (laughs) (laughs) Also, First World War film. Okay, so that was All Quiet on the Western Front, and it's available on uh, Netflix to stream. That's all for Movie Spotlight this week. Jason, Mark, it's been a pleasure as always, and we'll talk to you again soon. Take care. Thank you. Did you enjoy this segment? You can discover more segments like this throughout the week on Korea 24. On Monday, we bring you news from the world of sports around the peninsula. Then on Tuesday, notable guests from various fields join us and give us insight into their lives and work. Are you a fan of books? Then tune in on Wednesday for Korea Book Club where our book critic helps us unpack works by Korean authors or written on Korea. Go on an adventure with us every Thursday as we take a look at Korea's hidden gems with Explore Korea. And on Friday, listen to what our film critics have to say about the latest movie releases from both home and abroad. We have all that you need, all in one place, on Korea 24. We've reached our final segment now, next week from Seoul, where we close out the week by previewing what's happening next week. And to help us do that, our staff editor, Richard Larkin, has joined us now in the studio. Richard, hello and happy Friday. Hello, happy Friday to you too. Okay, so what's the first thing we should look out for next week? Well, South Korea's Defence Minister, Lee Jong-sup, will head to the United Arab Emirates and Poland for a week-long trip on Saturday. According to the Defence Ministry on Thursday, he will first tour the UAE, Till next Tuesday, he will meet with his UAE counterpart, Mohammed Ahmed Al-Bouadi. The minister will then visit South Korea's AK unit that is stationed in the country to give words of encouragement to the soldiers. He will also attend the opening ceremony of the 2023 International Defence Exhibition and Conference. 
Right, this comes after President Yoon Suk-yeol's high-profile state visit to the UAE last month, where the two countries pledged to boost defence cooperation. So this visit by Defence Minister Yi looks like it is a follow-up on that front. And then Yi will head to Poland, you said? Yes, from Wednesday to Friday. Yi will hold talks with his Polish counterpart, Marius Bostach. Before their meeting, the two countries will sign a consortium deal on the local production of K2 Black Panther tanks and K9 Thunder self-prepared howitzers. Yes, considering Poland's proximity to Ukraine, the war in Ukraine is a topic that could be brought up as well. So that is something to look out for. Uh, Moving on, what's the next thing we should look out for next week? The National Assembly's plenary session will convene next Friday and some important topics will be discussed. This week, we covered how the prosecution requested an arrest warrant for TP leader Lee Jae-myung. Once the prosecution sends a motion to arrest E to Parliament, lawmakers have to discuss whether to authorise it in the first plenary session that will take place, which could be as soon as next Friday. To give you a recap, the prosecution accused E of receiving 13.3 billion won in corporate donations, as well as causing 489.5 billion won in financial damage by removing an agreement on profit sharing in the Daejeon-dong project. Both E and the Democratic Party have slammed the prosecution's decision to file an arrest warrant. A majority of lawmakers need to pass the motion for it to go into effect, but is expected to fail as the Democratic Party holds 169 out of 300 seats in Parliament. Sure, so that is a major story coming up towards the end of next week. Let's look at one more. Uh, What else is there happening? Well, lawmakers will discuss the government's reorganisation plan to upgrade the Veterans Affairs Agency into an independent ministry. The reorganisation would strengthen ways it can support veterans and their families and promote more efficient veterans' policies. The Veterans Affairs Minister can also fully join the Cabinet's decision-making process under the new plan. The government is also looking at establishing an overseas Korean office under the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. The new sub-ministry-level agency will handle consular affairs and services. Okay, we'll wrap it up there. Richard, thank you for that roundup as ever. Uh, Have a great weekend and I'll see you next time. Thank you. Have a nice weekend. Just before we go, we'd like to announce that there is now a new way to enjoy your favourite shows from the KBS World Radio English service. Earlier today, we launched a 24-hour stream of our shows on YouTube. Search for KBS World Radio on the platform and you can tune in to our English service shows, including Career 24 at regularly scheduled hours throughout the day. Uh, We also have an event celebrating the launch. Tell us what you think in the comments section on YouTube to win a prize. And that's where we'll leave it. I will not be back next week as I'll be taking a break, but the show will be in the very capable hands of our arts explorer, Andeu. So we hope you join us again then on Monday as we continue to bring you the latest news, views and reviews from Korea. Till then, we hope you have a great weekend. I've been your host, Kwon Jang-wo, and thank you as always for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.